super excited you guys are here today. Um, thank you, you know, Pastor Andy, uh, for you guys having me. I want to encourage you guys. I remember um, I pastor a church in Tallahassee that we started four years ago with 18 of us. And when I walked in or when I drove up today, we used to meet in this place called Young Actors Theater, okay? And so I understand the portable, like, church struggle, all right? Um, and I want to tell you guys, I can't, if this is your local church, I can't encourage you enough to dive in and to help build what God is doing here. I believe God is doing something very significant here. If you're kind of like, hey, I don't know if this is it. I mean, they're kind of meeting like, you know, in elementary school. Trust me, dive in. This is one of the finest men I know. And I want to encourage you guys, be a part. Just don't be an attender. Be a part. Because God's wanting to build something very significant here in Kennesaw. And we're super excited. I want to give a shout out to one of my good friends sitting in the back, Sterling Brown, who's here. And Sterling Brown is a dear friend of mine. Actually, Sterling Brown was a gentleman who uh, was one of the first men who ever discipled me. And uh, I owe a lot to my life and faith based on that man's life. So, Sterl, appreciate you, bub. Um, that being said, listen, um, we're going to dive into God's Word today and get to work. Can we do that? You guys good? Let me tell you this. I truly believe this. When I started preaching the Bible 10 years ago, I really believe this. Every time the Word of God is preached, life change can happen. I just believe it. I believe it for 10 years, and God's never let me down. 10 years. I've preached all across the world. 10 years, God's never let me down. So I want you to understand this, is that I believe life change is getting ready to happen today. I believe that the trajectory of some of your lives will forever be in a different direction coming right now in this moment, because I believe the word of God is an eternal word. I believe it's not dead and dormant. I don't believe it's an archaic document that's not progressive. I actually believe it speaks from generation to generation and generation. I believe it's up to us where our hearts are at, where our faith's at, to actually hear what God wants to say. And so I want to encourage you today to just come with the place of faith and expectation, because I believe God wants to speak. Can we do that today? We're good? Can we do this? And you can talk back to me. It's okay, all right? And so it's cool. This is what we do in here. All right? If you don't want to talk back, it's totally fine as well. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be reading about the famous story of David and Goliath. For the sake of time, I'll skip some of the scriptures just because, again, I don't want to, I don't want to you know, the, do your Bible reading for you for the day, okay? And so um, here we go. 1 Samuel 18. Oh, first thing is 17. Sorry. Thank you, Andy. This happened this morning. First Samuel 17, starting in verse 32. <laughs> and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when, the, when, they came, uh, so when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Bad man. Your servants have struck down both lions and bears, and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And this is very important right here. And David said to the Lord who delivered me, from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and let the Lord be with you. Skipping down to verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he's but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance like Andy King. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. 
Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the, I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all the assembly may they know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face, I fell uh, on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and with a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took the sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed it and killed him and cut his head off and cut his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout, pursued the Philistines as far as Gath, the gates of Ekron. The wounded Philistines fell on the way to Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these brief moments we have today. God, I pray today that we would glare deeply into your word, God. That, God, we would go beyond just the surface level. God, that we would realize that we're not the heroes, God. You are. And I pray that we would have an understanding. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing here. I pray you would continue to move here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, the title of my message is simply this, is that I am not the hero. I am not the hero. Now, one of the things that you guys have been doing this kind of series, you've been looking at the Old Testament. I think over 75% of the Bible is in really the Old Testament. But many times, we, read the, we just like to jump to the New Testament. If you're like me, Bible reading plan, right? You start in January, you get going well, then you hit Leviticus, and it's all over, right? You hit Leviticus, and it's just doom and gloom from there. You're done. You're a failure. You don't feel like you can survive 2017. As bad as 2016 was, you can't survive 2017 because Leviticus trumped you. Some of you in this room, you just got a word from God because Leviticus is your Goliath, and you need to slay that. Now, here's the deal. We're looking at the Old Testament but really how the Old Testament not only speaks for time there, but really it all points to Jesus. Everything in Scripture points to Jesus. And today we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath and how it points to this man named Jesus. Now, I have a bunch of different titles in my life. I, as Andy said, uh, Pastor Andy said, I'm an entrepreneur. I've started a few different businesses. My wife currently is running one as well, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, I'm a pastor of a church that I love dearly. I pastor a church in Tallahassee in the South as a black man where our church is 60% white, 35% black, and 5% other ethnicities. Uh, very fortunate he wrote an article in our paper about it because like, it's just kind of weird. Again, I'm like a black reform charismatic, so it's like I'm a unicorn, all right? And so... Um, <laughs> And so um, it's this thing. So I have a title. But, my, but here's my favorite titles, though. though. Yes, I'm a pastor. I'm an entrepreneur, all those things. But my favorite title is this, is that for sure that I'm a husband to Wendy. I've been married for 15 years. I'm a father to three wonderful children. Jalen, who's 12, uh, Brooklyn, who's nine, and Peyton, who's six. And here's my new title that I have. I am a dance dad. 100% I am a dance dad. My wife owns a dance studio with over 300 some people. We're actually here in Atlanta because she's having a dance competition where she's overseeing 99 different pieces that are happening in two different rooms. Like, I married way over my head. Just, I just do. 
And so here's the deal. But I am a dance dad. I mean, full-fledged dance dad. I mean, prop dad, the whole deal. So if you've ever been to a dance competition, listen, I've played in Cameron Indoor Stadium where Duke plays, right? It's nothing, absolutely nothing compared to the pressure of being backstage at a dance competition. There's nothing. Cameron Indoor has nothing to being backstage when you have little girls just running around everywhere and it's chaotic. And they've been working on these pieces for six months, for two and a half minutes. And it's and you've got Cameron. And, and barrettes and hair bows and bobbing pins. There's so many bobbing pins in my house. I mean, it's like I'm overtaking by them. I mean, you have to pull the props out and don't get the props wrong because then people will look at you in the stage with this evil eye. I am a dance dad and I love it to death. And so here's the thing though about being a dance dad during this time, it's March Madness. So though I love my children and my daughters dearly, I'm a basketball guy. I play basketball at Florida State, play professional basketball. I'm a basketball guy. I serve as the character coach to the men's basketball team at Florida State. It's like, I'm a basketball guy. So I'm sitting there yesterday, between, in between like being a prop dad and helping my wife to like the ESPN app, but this is how bad it is. I've got ESPN on my phone rolling. I've got the iPad Pro big screen rolling with another game. That's what happened yesterday. And so I had to maneuver it. But here's the thing, I love this time of year. Because it's March Madness tonight. It's the selection show. Again, if you don't follow sports, I'm so sorry. Today, um, Andy will give you another analogy next week's story, okay? But for me, I'm going to talk about sports right now because it's March Madness. So I get so excited because when March Madness, it's just one game. It's like everything comes out to this moment. I mean, you get your bracketology. I mean, you know, we go into it, think we're going to win the whole thing, and we're not. We're done by, you know, 2 o'clock tomorrow. And so or 2 o'clock on Friday when the game starts. And so here's the deal, though. Is that the one reason why I love it is because you always hear those terms, right? You know, Cinderella story, David versus Goliath. That's one we use. Well, in 2013, this was real meaningful to me, even at another level. I don't know if you remember, but there was a school called FGCU, Florida Gulf Coast, Dunk City. Now, you may have never heard of FGCU. I didn't. I thought FGCU was a junior college somewhere down in South Florida. I had no idea there was actually a Division I school. Well, it, this meant something to me because all of a sudden FGCU gets in the NCAA tournament, but they're 15 seed. They're playing Georgetown, the Goliath, right? Georgetown's legendary. Well, why FGCU meant something to me is because a lot of the guys who are on the staff there come from the coaching tree of Florida State, so they're friends of mine. The head coach, Andy Enfield, was my neighbor. Michael Fly, who's an assistant coach, has become one of my best friends. And in 2013, they're playing Georgetown. And I don't know if you've ever watched a game or you have a team that you root for. But when it was happening and they're playing, I mean, I was there. I mean, you have to understand, when, you, when I watch basketball games, me and my son, he's 12, and he's like a spitting image of me, like good and bad. And so when we watch the game, it's very emotional in our house. We talk to the TV. We're running around. I mean, whenever Florida State's playing, it's definitely that. We're running around. We're talking. I mean, we're watching Golden State Warriors play. Steph Curry hits a three. We're both just walking around with our fingers up before he makes it. We are very <laughs> intentional, and we're very passionate and emotional about this game. Maybe a little idolatry. We'll find out. And so here's the deal, though. But me and him watching, we get super excited. And so when Florida Gulf Coast is playing, all of a sudden they're playing and they're in the game. And we're like, oh, you know, it's my friend. So I'm, you know, you kind of give them like the, you know, I text them, hey guys, praying for you, believing for you. You know, I, and honestly, my prayer was like, hope they don't get blown out. You know, it wasn't like I didn't have no, my faith was here. And so here's the deal. They win. And all of a sudden, because now it becomes Dunk City, because here's why it becomes Dunk City, because you had all these guys out there playing, and they're dunking the basketball, and they were white guys too dunking the basketball, okay? Again, stereotypes have some level of truth, okay? And so again... <laughs> 
just like if you just walked, you know, I don't know, into like a, I don't know, a skate shop. You saw some black people. Like, oh, that's different, right? Here's the deal. But when you see black, white guys out there dunking, everybody went crazy. They're like, man, that's not normal. And so here's what happens. And so these guys are going. As you can tell, I, I, I pastor a diverse church. I offend everyone in our church, okay? And so here's the deal. Sorry if I offend you. Um, Come back next week. The real pastor will be preaching, all right? And so here's what happens. is that So Dunk City, and it's going crazy. And everybody's saying it's David versus Goliath, David versus Goliath. And let me tell you this. I had like an authentic Dunk City gear. Let me tell you this. When they took off Dunk City, that Forbes magazine said that they get to the sweet, when they got to the Sweet 16, that it was worth over $700 million worth of coverage to the university. The university's enrollment doubled in one year by that. The day that it happened, or the next day they, when they won their second game against San Diego State, the bookstore, it's packed. I mean, it's, you can't get in. There was nothing left in the entire bookstore within the first hour it opened. So it takes off. And so here's the thing. How many of you guys know, like, I'm like, got real pride now. You know, I even know the guy, so I'm like, this is my team. Like, this is my team. Like, when they're winning, I'm like screaming, look at what we're doing. Look at us. <laughs> They can't stop us. <laughs> and maybe you don't follow sports or anything like that, but it's really easy for us to cheer for someone or to cheer for something and to put ourselves in a story and we have nothing to do with it. And see, this is the story of David and Goliath. Because see, here's what's interesting about the story. See, when we read this story, when we read it, it's been taught where, man, it's David and Goliath, and gosh, you know, it's conquering the giants of fear in your life or conquering the giants of anxiety, all those things, which are good. It's good points, good application. But let me tell you, I feel like we stop so shallow of what God actually wants to speak because many times our Western thought gets involved because in our Western thought, we have to be the hero. And anything that we do, we have to be the hero. We have to be the one who's the hero of our story. And so when we read David and Goliath, what do we do? Nobody ever puts themselves as Goliath, unless there's something wrong. <laughs> and if that is, you can see Pastor Andy and give me his email. But we're always the hero. We're always the hero of the story. But see, here's the truth. The people, even of Israel, tried to make themselves the hero. They're jumping around cheering. Look what we did. They didn't do anything. Matter of fact, they were hiding, scared, cowards. But see, as you peer into the scripture, here's what I begin to realize about myself. I'm not David. I'm not Goliath. I am the people of Israel. That I run and I hide and I'm a coward. And someone else fought my battle. See, it's hard in our Western world to ever think. See, when you really think of the gospel, when you really think of Jesus, if you've ever, if it's your first time in church, see, we as followers of Jesus take this, we, we put our, and make our whole hope and everything on this fact that this man named Jesus came to die a death we should have died, to live a life that we could not live. And he gives us grace. Nothing that we can do in our own ability that he won the battle. That's so hard for us because in the American culture, it's this. Pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. Have personal responsibility. If you're personally responsible, you can make it. But here's what the gospel speaks to something completely different because it was somebody else taking my responsibility for me. 
See, I'm not the hero of the story. You're not the hero of the story. We, in this room, we are the cowards, Israel, hiding as someone else got our victory. But see, I think if we can peer deeper into God's word today, I think we really can learn something that can grow us and it can mature us and it make our faith, it can make it more fulsome instead of it being at times just the surface level. See, David speaks to this, guys, right from the beginning. David begins to say, now again, if you know anything about David, I won't go, you can just go on Wikipedia, all right? Or no, go somewhere else, okay? Just fact check that, all right? No fake news, all right? Here's the thing, though, is that with David, the history of David is really quick. He gets anointed king, and next thing you know, he shows up. He's bringing his brother some food. He hears Goliath screaming, cursing God out. And then David's like, who's talking about God? And so then David jumps in. This is where we pick up the story. But what we must understand is this, is that David was this man who was said in Scripture, the only man in Scripture outside of Jesus that we know of, that was a man after God's own heart. And see, here's what happens with David. David makes this statement right from the beginning and where he is not even the hero of the story. David actually says, he was like, listen, I used to be in the backside of the mountain. And when a bear or a lion would come get one of the sheep, I would chase it down. Now, first of all, I don't know if you're like me, but when you tend a lot of sheep, if one gets taken by a bear or a lion, that's what we've got chalked that one up. <laughs> Research and development. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just like, we was working on right, this little R&D. We try to let him go out there a little bit, see what could happen, right? You're like, it's gone. <laughs> on our taxes, we, we count that as a loss. It's a write-off, right? <laughs> Straight write-off on that one. But he said his brother ran down. Listen, I have been to Africa. I've been on a safari. I've looked at a lion in the eyes. And if you've ever peered at a lion, like in the wild, in its eyes, any bit of just like, just, just baby that you have, in, it will pull you out. It will pull out of you. I was looking at this lion. I was in Africa. I'll never forget. I looked at this lion. He looked back at me. I was inside of a car, though. I looked at him. He looked at me. I looked at him. He looked at me. And I, we had this conversation, me and this lion. And I believe this lion said to me, you do realize I could come to that car and eat you right now. <laughs> and here's what I did. I, I'm not lying to you. I looked at that lion, and I just dropped my head. I looked, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> It's like Debo and Friday. So anyway, here's what happens. And so here, and so David goes and David is chasing down his lion bear. But here's what he says. He says that when this would happen, God would deliver me. And then he says this Philistine who's cursing God, he says this, that God will deliver him into our hands. See, David didn't even put himself as the hero of the story that everybody wanted to. He actually says God's going to do it. And see, it's so easy for us that when we just work hard and we just do the moral thing, that we become the heroes of the story. But David himself, a man after God's own heart, never made himself the hero. So why is it for us that we're so arrogant to make ourselves the hero of every story? That we want to be Nehemiah, we want to be Esther, we want to be Jesus, we want to be Joshua, we want to be the heroes of the story, but many times we are not. We are the cowards hiding. But would that be good news? Is that good news? See, if you only read the stories of David and Goliath and all these other great stories in the Old Testament from the surface level, it wouldn't seem like good news because it pushes against everything that we know. It pushes against everything that we've been brought up in of, man, you become this hero of your story. But I've realized I am not the hero. You are not the hero. But we're going to realize who actually is the hero. 
So how could David do this? How could David trust? How could he have such a perspective that was a little bit different, even though he's a great warrior, great man, what could he do and, and what was it? I believe there was three things that happened with David. There was one was this, there was transparency, there was intimacy, and there was dependency. There was transparency, and then you go, and I'm going to dive into this thing of transparency right now. See, if you read about David's writing, how many of you guys read Psalms, the book of Psalms, any Psalm in your life? Just raise your hand, okay? I'm not going to call on you, all right? I promise. But here's the thing about the book of Psalms. It's written, it feels, because David's writing, he wrote a lot of Psalms. It's written by, it seems like a schizophrenic man. You ever read, like, just read, go read Psalm 42. Read Psalm 6. I mean, the brother starts out just like, he's on suicide watch. And by the end of it, my man just, the, the, the thing is turning the song. It's just come up and these, but I'm still going to trust in the Lord. Here's one thing that I believe that made David a man after God's own heart is David's transparency before God. See, here's the truth about it. Is many of us, we don't ever go deeper in God is because we're not willing to be transparent with God. We're wanting to give God the good stuff. When we pray, we wake up in the morning and we should thank God for stuff, but that's normally what we do. Oh God, I'm just so thankful I can breathe today and all those things. But do you ever wake up in the morning and tell God, God, today is just really bad. Today, God, I don't even know if I really want to live. God, today, you know what? I just, I'm old, so my back hurts and it's painful. God, I may be losing my job and I am so fearful. Are you ever transparent with God? Have you ever been transparent with God to say, God, I don't even know if I believe you. See, this happened to me about eight years ago. And some of you guys who've been in some of our conferences have heard this story, but eight years ago, my relationship with Jesus changed forever. See, I was, a, I was ministering, seeing people get saved left and right. And I'll never forget one moment people were coming to the altar. And as they're coming to the altar, getting ready to pray for them to receive salvation, I was looking. I'll never forget the young lady I was looking at. And I was like, I don't believe this Bible works. I don't believe it works. And I found myself in this super state of this place of depression. Very suicidal. And one of my mentors came to me and he asked me this question. He's like, what do you think of God? And I gave him this kind of, you know, I gave him, I mean, it was super theologically sound, right? I mean, I mean, John Piper would have loved everything I said in the statement. <laughs> and so I lay out to what I think. God's like, no, 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 what do you think of God? And I looked right at it. We were sitting at Starbucks, Tallahassee. I looked right in his eyes. I think God's a vindictive thug who sits in heaven waiting to trounce on me. That's who I think he is. And he looks at me and says, well, I would never serve a God like that either. So let's begin to rewire you to figure out what this God's all about. See, let me tell you this, guys. Part of the reason why we can't trust and we want to be the hero of our stories because we're never willing to be transparent. See, we always tell God all of our good stuff, all of our good accolades. We always want God to bless our good stuff. But have you ever just been raw and emotional with God and saying, this is just where I'm at? And see, David was that. If you read Psalm 6, I mean, it's amazing. Go read it later. But David uses words in Psalm 6, like my soul, there is, there is language. He goes on and say that my bones are in trouble. I'm greatly troubled. Then he goes to say, I'm weary. He was like, I am groaning. He's like, I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. This is what he was writing to God. 
When is the last time you've ever been that honest with God? Or do you just give God your highlights? Or at best, what you do is you want God to be your administrative assistant, just telling him what you want and then go execute it. But when is the last time you've ever been honest? And see, I believe this is why David was able to be a man after God's own heart. Why he could trust God is because in transparency, that leads to the next thing. It leads to intimacy. See, when David was on the backside of the mountain waiting to become king, he was transparent before God. When even when he became king and he was being chased by people, he was transparent before God. And see, transparency leads to our next point. It leads to intimacy. Why some of us don't know God, we like, I feel like God's distant is because you're never transparent with him. You're never open. You're never honest. You never tell him your struggles. You never even tell him what is happening, even though do you know he knows everything? And see, this has been the struggle of humanity. Go to Genesis 3 later and you can read it. Adam and Eve, what do they do? They run and hide from God. And what does God do? He shows up and he asks these three simple words, where are you? God knew where they were at. He didn't have a moment of where he just like was old. And, you know, like real, real old. You know what I mean? Like he just kind of like, you know, he's like my 90-year-old grandfather where it's just like he just forgets stuff all the time, not loving, but he just does. But he wasn't that. God knew where, he was, where they were at. What God was speaking to them is like, do you know where you're at now? Do you know where you're at? And see, some of us in this room, See, why Jesus can't be the hero of the story is because you don't even know where you're at. And so what you do is you go into what we've done in our Western world is that you go and you constantly just, if I can just say more positive things over my life, if I can just quote more positive things, if I can just watch Oprah's Sunday Inspirational and whatever she says, I'm going to do, or whatever Facebook post somebody says is inspirational, if I just quote inspirational things over my life, or what you do, you have this kind of this caricature of what you think a Christian should be, and you try to live it and do it, and at the end of the self, you have no idea who you are. And then you wonder why God is distant. God never changes. We are the one who changes all the time. See, but transparency leads to intimacy. See, this is the next one is intimacy. See, David was willing to be open with God, but here's the other thing that David did. David spent time with God. I want you to understand this in this room, that if Jesus is going to be even greater, he's just not only going to be, he's got, where he's going to be the hero of your story and you're not going to be, you've got to begin to spend time with him. Now, again, for some of you in this room, I hope this doesn't buzz, for some of you in this room, like, you've done the church thing. You've read your Bible, you know what I mean? Some of you are super disciplined, too. You know what I mean? You're the ones every morning you're up, and I mean, you are, I mean, you got your Bible ready to read, and I mean, you got your coffee, and you Instagram picked that thing with the right filter, you know what I'm saying? Hashtag blessed. I mean, you have the whole thing ready to go. But let me tell you this. Do you peer deeper? Do you actually connect with God? Because, see, reading your Bible doesn't mean you connect with God. Reading your Bible means you're just reading your Bible. Just like if I go on a date with my wife. It doesn't mean I connected with my wife just because we go on a date. What means I connected with my wife, if I'm being transparent with my wife, if I'm being engaging with my wife, if I'm mentally and emotionally there, then that is how intimacy is built. But just because I show up and go on a date night or I show up to my kids, here's great. I can show up all day to my children's dance recitals, but if I'm not emotionally engaged in my children's life, that doesn't mean I've been there, I've been present in their lives. I just mean I've kind of been a dad, just kind of there. I haven't been involved. Let me ask you this. Are you that way with God? Are we that way when it comes to spending time with God? Do you really dive in and you really want God to speak? Do you really connect with him? Do you find the ways that God speaks to you? Listen, I wish I could say that, man, just by opening my Bible every day, that, man, that's one of the, that's, that's a way that God connects. But one of the ways that God connects with me is, man, I walk and I just pray. 
Amen. He speaks to me. But see, I want to ask you, but do you, let's go back to the beginning of that. Do you ever spend time? Do we ever spend time at all with him? Just think about relationships. And see, it's no different with our relationship with God. See, guys, you can't say that you want to know God and I want to know all about him, but you spend five minutes a day with him. And I don't mean this to be in any way coming down, because listen, I've been there before. I was pastoring and leading. And I would go months without ever reading my Bible for myself. I'd read my Bible for everyone else. And you know what's scary about that? God has given me a gift to communicate his gospel. Me communicating and people responding, getting saved has nothing to do if I'm connected with God or not. And I know something that's going to blow your mind, it really is true. I was so distant from God, but I was seeing people get saved left and right. See, do you spend time with God? Are you intimate with God? But see, here's what happens as you peer more into David's life. See, David had this thing about him with God. If you read through Psalms, he constantly just talked about his relationship with God. He constantly talked about his hope in God. And see, as you begin to spend time with someone, you begin to understand their character and their nature. You begin to understand what they're going to do. That is why when I'm with my wife and we pass by, if we're going somewhere, and in any way my wife smells French fries, we're stopping. (laughs) Like, it doesn't matter. We're stopping. It's like... Here's the thing. I've been married to Wendy for 15 years. I've known her for 18 years. My wife loves French fries. So if we walk, it does not matter. She could have eaten like the greatest meal ever. But if we walk past and, you know, especially McDonald's, they pipe the fry smoke out of the thing, right? It's amazing. And they pipe it out like it's like the glory cloud. And it comes out of the top. And here's that. My wife's going to stop because here's the reason why I know that because I spend time with Wendy. And here's what I do know. Here's one thing I do know about my wife as well. That my wife will, I mean, she works. She's diligent. She says she's going to do something, she's going to do it. Over 15 years of being married to her, I've learned that about her. See, why, you need to be, why we need to be intimate with God and why David could depend so much on God in those moments was this. It's because he spent time, and as he spent time, he started to know God's character and nature. See, the more you spend time with God, the more you can understand who God really is. You can understand that God's actually good. See, if we don't spend time with God, here's what we think about God. We actually begin to allow our circumstances, we begin to allow our background and upbringings to define the character of God instead of letting God define who he is. It does not matter what your background is. God is who God is just because he says he is that. And he's proven to be faithful to do that. But we have to have that intimacy. And that's why David could go and he could chase a lion and a bear down. Again, that freaks me out. Or he could go to Goliath. Goliath was eight feet tall, people. Eight feet, okay? Again, bigger. I saw Shaq the other night at the Hawks game. Bigger than Shaq by a foot, okay? That's his brother. And he runs with a sling and a rock. Not a gun. A sling and a rock. I would have to have some new technology. I'd have been praying down some new invention, a sling and a rock. But here's why he could do it is because he trusted in the character and nature of God because he had spent time with God and he saw God show up. Sometimes you got to put yourself in a situation to spend time with him and watch God show up because the more God begins to show up, the more confidence you can have. Even that doesn't mean you're going to get everything you want. But even in the midst of your suffering and your hardship, God is still there and he's forever present. So when I'm suffering, let me tell you this. I struggle with depression. It's the thorn in my 
flesh. It hasn't gone away. But you know what I realized? Is that God's grace is sufficient. Though this thing is there, and I've prayed for God for it to go, it's still there. But every day, it makes me go into the presence of God. And here's what I know about my God. His grace is sufficient. So you've got to begin to be intimate with God. So you have to be transparent because we have the intimacy. And here's the third and final thing. It leads to dependency. It leads to dependency. David was fully dependent on God. He trusted him. David was a good warrior. He was a good man. He was a great fighter naturally. But you just hear it leak out of him over and over and over and over again. It's that God is good and he's dependable. And see, his dependency was not on his own skill sets and gifts, but his dependency was on God, his father. So let me ask you this. What is your dependency on? Is your dependency on your skill set? Because understand this, your skill set will go away at some point. Is it on your looks? Trust me, that'll go away at some point. Is on your ability to communicate with people. You can win people. Maybe you, you have a personality where I just win people to my side. Let me tell you this. That will go away at some point. You know one of the greatest ways I'm learning the dependency in God is raising children. Because you know what? When, I was, when they were younger, I'm 6'5". I can demand things out of my children. Just on sheer physical presence. Except for my six-year-old, who's the smallest thing in the house. And seriously, I think she's like a part of sleeper cell, ISIS or something. She's just crazy. I'm joking. So here's the thing. I love her, though. <laughs> but here's the thing about my six-year-old. I can't, as big as I am, I can't will her into stuff anymore. Why, Daddy? Like the other day, it happened. Peyton, you need to give this to your brother. You need to share well, Dad, if you wanted Jalen to have something, you should have bought something for Jalen, but you said you bought this for me. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Here's the deal. As my son's 12 now, see, my son has to have his own encounter with Jesus. I can show him to church all day. I can put him in kids' church and he do a great job. But I know my son has to have his encounter. And he did when he was younger with Jesus. But every day, my son has to build a thriving, growing relationship. My job is to help teach him. But at the end of the day, he has to connect. And that makes me cry out to God every day. It makes me cry out to God because I can't fix this. It made me cry out to God when my 12-year-old son was born on a spectrum of autism. He didn't talk to, for, until he was four years old. It made me cry out to God because I couldn't fix him. See, there's something about when you're only dependent on God, what it'll begin to do in your soul. But some of us never take a step of faith, a leap of faith to actually have to be dependent on God. We just be, we're just dependent on our own skill sets and abilities. But when you begin to take a step, when you begin to say, hey, I'm going to jump off this cliff and try this. I'm going to risk this. I'm going to believe God. I think he's telling me to do this. Then dependency and you're there is a scary place. But watch what God does. But see, you must understand this is that if you're going to be dependent on God, you cannot be the hero of your story. Because if you're the hero of the story, there's no room for God to step in to be the hero. Because all Jesus will ever be to you is a self-help guru like Tony Robbins. He'll be somebody who gives good advice. 
but he'll never be the savior and the Lord and the king and the superhero that he really is. Do you understand that this whole story of David and Goliath points to Jesus? It points to Jesus because of this. Because just as David was a shepherd boy, so was Jesus. And just as David went and got victory for the people of Israel without them lifting a finger, Jesus did the same thing for us. That Jesus himself, as Pastor Tim Keller says it so wonderfully, that Jesus is a better David. Is that when we were facing the Goliath of sin and death that we couldn't defeat, Jesus steps on the scene and he conquers sin and death. That he comes down and he lives this life that we cannot live. Let me tell you this, why I get so excited about Jesus, why I yell, why I scream, why I start to spit. I go all around the world talking about Jesus is because I understood what he did. See, when you think you're the hero of the story, Jesus can never be the hero. So all he will be is just a guy who's kind of, you know, give me some good moral teaching. But when you understand that you had a debt that you could not pay at all, not your moral behavior, not how much money you give, not how, much, how many likes you get on Instagram or your spiritual posts, none of that saves you. It's by a man coming. It's God in the flesh living this life we could not live. This man walking this life and healing and performing miracles and hanging with the outcast and then being accused of a crime he did not commit and they executed him. They hung him on this cross. They ripped the flesh from his body. They stripped him naked. This man came into the world. He was God, and he laid aside his rights as God. He left the world with nothing. The only thing he had was a robe, and they gambled it away. And they put a crown of thorns in his head, and they beat this crown into his head till it stuck, and he suffered, and he died, and he was ridiculed, hanging on the cross. It was a public spectacle that he was a king, but yet and still, he died like a criminal. And here's what I understand about Jesus and why he's the hero and why he's a better David. It's because he conquered sin and death. It's because on the cross, he became this thing. He became this pedophile on the cross. On the cross, Jesus became a rapist. On the cross, he became that porn addict. On the cross, Jesus became a killer. On the cross, he became a liar. On the cross, he became a thief. On the cross, he became me. On the cross, he became you. And he's hanging there. And I love what 2 Corinthians says. It said that he who had no sin became sin. He who had no sin. Do you understand that Jesus is the only good guy? He's the only good guy. Remember the old Western movies? I don't know if you ever watched Westerns. I do with my grandmother growing up. There was always the good guy always would come in with the white hat, right? All the bad guys had black hats. In this whole story of life, we all have black hats. Jesus is the only one with the white hat. And see, here's the truth about it. It says that he who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Martin Luther says, that it's this great exchange that Jesus imputes righteousness to us. He gives it to us with nothing. So here's the thing. Do you understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, that God looks at what Jesus did on the cross as if you did it? That you've been crucified with Christ, meaning that he looks at you. He looks at me. He looks at you the same way he looks at Jesus. So see, if you live in shame and you stay in shame, you don't know the fullness of the gospel because the gospel doesn't let us stay in shame. Now it convicts us, but it doesn't let us stay in shame. 
So he gives us this righteousness. He conquered this thing. Everybody's been asking me this question. Pastoring such a diverse church, I've written nationally about these issues of race in America. And somebody recently came to me and, and had this question for me. They were like, what's the answer? And so this person was, was person not a follower of Jesus. And when they do, they wanted to come with all these practical things. And, and I just found out it was a Holy Spirit-inspired moment. Normally, I kind of give them these three or four steps. But in that moment, I was like this. I was like, Jesus. And they looked at me crazy. They kind of know what else. Like, no, it's Jesus. And they're like, why? I was like, because here's the deal. When you understand the fullness of the gospel and you understand that you're not the hero of the story, you begin to realize this, you lead with compassion. See, when you actually think you're really, really good, it's just natural human tendency, you're gonna look down on someone else. Doesn't matter what race you are. See, here's the question. Some of you in this room, is Jesus just a surface level guy that you use him for leadership points? But have you ever surrendered your life to him? That if you stood before Jesus, if you died right now, you walk out here and you die, and you stood before Jesus, would you have to plead your, would you try to plead your case to him about how good you are? Or could you stand before him and say, I believe in your finished work. I believe in your son and what he did. See, that's the question it comes down to. Are you going to be the hero of your story for the rest of your life, or are you going to allow Jesus to be that? I tried for so long to be the hero of my story, and let me tell you, I'm a bad superhero. I want to be Superman. I want to be Batman. I'm really bad at it. I'm the villain of my own story. What are you? So I want you to do something for me. I want you to... Bow your heads, I want you to close your eyes, and here's what I want to ask you to do for me. That if you're in this place today and, and you're saying, listen, I've, I've sat in church maybe, maybe it's my first time here, but man, there's something going off inside my soul right now. I feel this thing, it's wanting me to, to do something. There's an action, I feel this thing, I'm feeling this kind of weight. Maybe you're feeling this thing, you're feeling a little, you're feeling bad, you're feeling this reality of, man, I, maybe I'm not living what I say I'm supposed to live. Maybe you're in this moment right now and you're simply saying, you know what? I have walked so far from God and honestly, I don't know if I ever knew him. And you're saying today, I want him to be the hero of my story. I'm tired of being the hero of my story. It's exhausting. I want him to be the hero of my story. If that's you with head down, eyes closed, I want you just to slip your hand up so I can pray for you today. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Lift those hands high. If you are responding to this and you've never put your hope, trust, faith in Jesus for salvation alone, I want you to do something for me. I want you to stand to your feet, put head down. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Like, when something's happening within us internally, there has to be an external sign, response. And so if that's you and you're saying, I want to put my hope, trust in Jesus for salvation alone, would you be brave enough in this room just to stand to your feet? We're not trying to embarrass you. We're not going to call you up front. We're not going to do anything like that. God bless you.
Is there anybody else that wants to be included in this prayer to surrender their life to Jesus? I'll give you a few more seconds to stand. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else that wants to be included in this prayer? If you're responding, it's this simple. Just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you and only you. Today I believe. If you're standing to say that, today I believe. That you died for me. You gave your very life for me. But you resurrected. Proving yourself to be God. And today I believe. Today I believe. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. I'm going to pray for that first group that responded as well. Father, I thank you. I pray your blessings upon them. God, wherever they're at, whatever the things are, whatever things are popping up to make them want to be the hero of their own stories, God, I pray that, God, they begin to dethrone those idols, begin to pull those things down. And God, they would truly, truly respond to you. God, we love you and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's great being here.